Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Right on Crime podcast. My name is Britt Allen with Right on Crime. In states across the nation, Right on Crime works to support conservative criminal justice from government accountability and legislation to ongoing community initiatives. And the work never ends for our incredible state directors. So I am so excited to introduce to you guys my special guest and our West Virginia and Virginia State Director, Danny Murphy. How's it going, Danny? Fantastic. Good Good afternoon, Britt. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Welcome to Austin. What do you think so far? It's fantastic. Yeah. It's a little weird, but I love it. I mean, we are always on on a mission to keep Austin weird. That's what I hear. This is probably the least weird corner in Austin, though, so you're in a safe place. (laughs) Good. But welcome. Thank you. So for anybody who maybe doesn't know you or know what you do, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Absolutely. So um, I serve as, as as you mentioned, I serve as the state director for Right on Crime for both both Virginia and West Virginia. Mm -hmm. Um, I also serve as a a criminal defense attorney. Mm -hmm. I'm in private practice with a law firm in Southwest Virginia. Um, I joined Right on Crime just a little over a year ago and, in fact, went into private practice just over a year ago, mm-hmm. um, having re- most recently served as an assistant United States attorney that is a federal prosecutor for the Western District of Virginia. Mm-hmm. And then prior to that, I served a career as an Army judge advocate, an wow. attorney on active duty uh, with the U.S. Army, having retired out of the Pentagon in 2020. Wow. And so um, I've, I've enjoyed a, a great deal of perspective mm-hmm. that I think allows me to view criminal justice reform um, from both a a former prosecutor's mm-hmm. perspective and now currently as a criminal defense attorney's perspective mm-hmm. um, and the opportunities that it gives me to, to try to advance conservative conservative and meaningful criminal justice reforms has right. just been tremendous. Amazing. So criminal justice, I mean, it's a, it's a crazy world. There's a lot of nuance. Um, how did you even get involved in criminal justice? Like, what was it for you that made you decide to pursue that route? Sure. Well, um, well, first of all, you know, I, it, it was the military initially that brought me into um, the legal field. And so when I was, I went to college in, in North Carolina mm-hmm. um, and I have always had an interest in military service. Right. And so um, uh, I was uh, an, an ROTC graduate and I went into the army right out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also had an interest in the law. And mm-hmm. so I applied for a program shortly after, after um, commissioning into the army, I applied for for a program that the army had that went mm-hmm. that paid for me to go back to law school. Okay. A fantastic program, the, the, the army's FLET program. program. Um, I then went into the army as a judge advocate and I was immediately drawn to litigation. And, mm-hmm. and, and within the army, litigation primarily means criminal litigation and yeah. working within the, the uh, criminal prosecution and criminal defense uh, realm. Mm-hmm. So I was a, uh, a trial counsel. I was a prosecutor for the army. Mm-hmm. I ended up loving what I was doing, um, I was able to n- kind of navigate my career to where I was able to f- primarily focus my practice within the criminal world. So I was a um, uh, what was called a special victim prosecutor okay. for for a number of years, and uh, in in with, in that respect, I was I focused my my prosecution on violent felony offenses mm-hmm. and sexual assault offenses. Okay. Um, and so um, I focused my my military career largely within criminal law. Okay. A lot of army judge advocates diversify and do a number of different things, but I was just drawn to the criminal practice. Yeah. And then when I retired from the Army, I again focused, what, what was it that I wanted to do? Mm-hmm. And, um, and and I, I would tell you that I am largely, even though I currently am a defense counsel, I'm mm-hmm. largely wired as a prosecutor. Mm-hmm. And so when I retired from the Army, I, I, I sought careers or career opportunities that would allow me to continue to, to do that. Right. And so I was offered a position with the U.S. Attorney's 
uh, office for the Western District of Virginia, and that mm-hmm. brought me from from the D.C. suburbs down to Southwest Virginia. There we go. And um, and I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. I had a fantastic time prosecuting cases um, for the U.S. government. Yeah. But then I was approached by uh, our leader, Brett Tolman, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, about a year and a half ago, uh, or about two years ago, I suppose, about leaving the U.S. Attorney's Office mm-hmm. and joining Right on Crime to, as you said, to advance conservative, principled positions yeah. on criminal justice reform. And and I, I draw on experiences that I have had mm-hmm. as both a prosecutor and then now as a defense counsel to try to focus um the initiatives that I advance in Virginia mm-hmm. and West Virginia on where I think we can make meaningful, impactful change yeah. um, that both protects uh, our community communities from violent offenders, mm-hmm. but 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 is a little bit more um, compassionate and um, um, uh, geared towards rehabilitation and reentry for right. those people who are eventually going to join our mm-hmm. communities again. Yeah. Um, and so I, I, uh, it's been my pleasure to work with, in both West Virginia and Virginia. And we've yeah. got a session coming up and I'm excited about a few initiatives. Oh, my gosh. I know. And I can't believe it's coming up as soon as it is. But I mean, and thank goodness that Brett did approach you because you're just such an amazing addition to the team. And we're so happy that you're on board. So I want to talk a little bit about one of your states specifically. Sure. Maybe today we'll just hone in on Virginia. Sure. So the criminal justice system there's a lot that we get wrong right but there's a lot that we can also do really well sure. so when it comes to your specific state what do you feel like virginia does really well sure well first of all virginia is a very unique state mm-hmm. um you know we, we've got pockets of virginia that are metropolitan areas obviously the the washington dc suburbs richmond uh, the southeastern um, uh, seaboard but the the vast majority of virginia as a state is far more rural right um uh, and it's in its sort of land mass and its demographics and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, one thing that I would tell you uh, that I think we do particularly well is Virginia's Department of Corrections um, boasts, um, I think it's right now, it's the second lowest recidivism rate nationwide. And so so a a three-year recidivism rate of 20.6%. And so we we talk about that. And let me caveat that. What, Mm -hmm. what What they mean by that is specifically are state responsible inmates and yeah. so so that's those are that's a recidivism recidivism rate for people that are returning mm. to state facilities that's department of corrections facilities okay. not our local and regional jails okay. and so that distinction is meaningful because mm-hmm. because it doesn't capture the the inmates who may engage in relatively minor or petty offenses that bring them back into the jail system yeah it just it, it speaks primarily to people who are who are incarcerated for lengthier terms of mm-hmm. incarceration and so, so why is that? So why is Virginia's recidivism rate so, relatively speaking, so low? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I've had an opportunity to work with our Department of Corrections leadership, and um, I'm in- incredibly impressed in, in a couple of different things. I'm incredibly impressed with the the priorities that they put into reentry and rehabilitation yeah. programs within the Department of Corrections mm-hmm. facilities. Um, one example of those is Virginia's got a, a program that they call their CCAP program. Mm-hmm. It's the Community Corrections Alternative Program. Mm-hmm. There are about seven or eight of these facilities throughout Virginia. They are you know they are penal systems they are they are prison systems mm-hmm. i mean when somebody is in the system they are incarcerated still right. however these are individuals who have been identified as having um, maybe a high likelihood of success 
and a focus towards their rehabilitative efforts. Mm -hmm. They are given particularized schooling. They have an opportunity to, to get their GED mm -hmm. uh, or advanced education if, they, if, 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 they're, if they're pursuing that. And they also get hands-on training on a few different, of, well, I should say a variety of different um, trades. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, in a, in, in a facility that I recently visited, um, the Appalachian's men's the Appalachian men's facility um, in Honeaker, Virginia. You know they've got a school for brick masons. Yeah. They've got a school for um, an HVAC repair tra yeah. trades that can lead people to meaningful employment yeah. upon their release. Mm -hmm. And I think a program like that is is directly responsible for Virginia boasting such a low recidivism right. rate. And so, so in my estimation, emphasizing programs like that mm -hmm. in our correction systems, um, that's that's smart on crime. That's that's right, right on crime. That's a that's that's a meaningful approach towards rehabilitating people, mm -hmm. not just to punish, but in fact to rehabilitate and return people to society with the with the skills that at least allow them to not turn back right. towards criminal behavior. 100%. I heard uh, something the other day that said, today's inmate is tomorrow's neighbor. That's right. And that made so much sense to me, especially when it comes to like all the things you guys are doing right in Virginia when it comes to lowering recidivism and that's really right. focusing on reentry. So that's amazing. And that's obviously something we support very much so at Right yes. on Crime. So on the flip side of that, we've got the good. Now let's talk about what are the gaps and opportunities you feel like need to be filled in Virginia? <clears throat> well, um, I think there are a number of gaps, um, and I think we have opportunities, and we're working on one one thing in particular um, that I'll touch on, which is earned compliance credits. Mm -hmm. And so in Virginia, we have something, uh, a program that's set up for earned sentencing credits, and that is, okay. uh, or earned sentence credits, and that's that's somebody who's been incarcerated, that who, who goes to a prison system, and they can pursue training or education or programs and that mm -hmm. sort of thing to, to, to earn credit towards their sentence. Right. Um, but what happens when somebody is released from prison, right? And so, so almost almost across the board, if if a an offender or an inmate is released from prison, they are placed on a period of probation mm -hmm. following their term of incarceration. Well, how do we incentivize somebody to reduce that period of probation? Right mm -hmm. now, Virginia does not have any program in place that an individual can try to chip away the amount of time that they've got on probation. Mm -hmm. And so earned compliance credits is that program. Essentially it right. says, hey look, for example, if you were to pursue a secondary degree, if mm -hmm. you were to pursue um, uh, training in, in a trade mm -hmm. um, and you were to receive a particular certificate that allows you to pursue meaningful employment, yeah. we'll reduce your time on probation. So it's okay. so so it both incentivizes people mm -hmm. to to take accountability and responsibility for improving their 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 situation. Um, and it also rewards people mm -hmm. who actually focus on their own re rehabilitation. Right. So that's that's a bill that I'm working with um, uh, uh, a couple of delegates, um, and it's been um, it's been sent in for drafting uh, in advance of, awesome. of session. So I'm hopeful that we can get that through. Great. Fantastic. And then um, I know we talked a little bit earlier about another thing that we were talking about was early access to counsel. That's right. You had a really interesting story not too long ago I, that relates back to that so so, so that's a, so I, what i would call this i would put this in the in the gap right now right now yeah. we've we've got we're um unfortunately 
I think a lot of people, when they foc- about, uh, focus on criminal justice, mm-hmm. they look at um, the violent offenders, the long-term people, the people you know, the people that um, that are going to be in prison systems for a long time. And right. the, our legislators always focus on, I've got, we've got to be tough on crime. We've got to protect our communities, and that is true. Right. But the vast majority of offenders that are in our systems are not violent offenders. Mm -hmm. They are people for any number of reasons who due to their circumstances, their family situations, they find themselves wrapped up in the criminal justice system. And an issue that I have is that our, our system right now has far too many inefficiencies mm-hmm. built into it yeah that that just damaged the spirit and the hu- humanity of our citizens and what I what I the story that I told you about was I recently represented a client in Southwest Virginia who um, I, I was court appointed I was appointed by the court system to represent him mm-hmm. can you imagine this particular court system doesn't email or even fax the notice to the attorney that you are set to re- to, to represent the, this person. Instead, they they put a letter in the mail. That's to crazy. You. <laughs> and so I was appointed to represent a gentleman who had been arrested on a charge of disorderly conduct. Mm-hmm. And the facts were he was homeless mm-hmm. and he uh, was walking down the street in a city and he had been drinking. He mm-hmm. was he was intoxicated and he was wearing his boxer shorts. <laughs> and that's what he was charged with. Yeah. He was charged, he was incarcerated on that charge because mm-hmm. he had no home plan, he had no sure. place to release. He didn't receive a bond. He had a history of, 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 of missing court dates by virtue of his his personal situation. Right. Well, he was incarcerated. I didn't get the notice that I was supposed to represent him in this case mm-hmm. until I got a letter in the mail and it was after the Thanksgiving holiday. So it took almost about a week and a half for me to realize that I've got a gentleman that's sitting in a jail facility right. pending a trial on a very minor matter. Yeah. And the reality is, as as happens with cases all the time, is the court puts that case mm-hmm. on that arresting officer's next court date. Right. So this gentleman's court date was set for January 24th. He was arrested before Thanksgiving in mm-hmm. November, and his court date was set for January 24th on a disorderly conduct wow. charge. Now, the reality is, that's not the fault of the prosecutor. That's right. not the fault necessarily even of the judge or, or of any person individually. Mm-hmm. It's just that our system is not designed to to identify far more efficient ways to handle these matters. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to say that I was able to meet with meet with the client, yeah. meet with the prosecutor, get his his case moved up, and we resolved his mm-hmm. matter in a manner, um, I believe, effectively, such mm-hmm. that he was released on the day of his court hearing. Wow. Well, so so not only did that address the humanity of it, not only this 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 gentleman did not need to be sitting in a jail. Right. He he needed to be home for Thanksgiving with his family. Mm-hmm. Now he's homeless, but he has family in the area. Um, he does suffer from from some mental illness. He needs to be treated. He mm-hmm. does not need to be in a jail facility, and he sure as heck doesn't need to be sitting is sitting in a jail for over sixty days pending yeah. a trial on a disorderly conduct. Right. So that's an example of of a a judicial inefficiency yeah. that unfortunately I think is all across Virginia, mm-hmm. and I think it's something that we need to address. Yeah. Now it's not something that, that that I'm advancing a bill on this this session. It's not something that 
um, that I've got teed up, yeah. but it is something that I want to work on with yeah. um, with legislators. That sounds amazing. And I'm, thank goodness that it's at some point on your docket. So I know you said mention session is coming up, yes. coming up in January. That's right. So what are your goals or hopes for this next coming session? Well, so this is this is going to be a unique session in Virginia. We've got a divided government. We've got a, um, a obviously conservative uh, uh, governor in, in Glenn Youngkin. Right. Um, and um, but our our General Assembly is um, is a democratically controlled General Assembly. And so um, I think what we're going to have to do is work in the margins to right. find um, issues where we can c- truly compromise issues. And that's mm-hmm. where I think I think earned compliance credits is something that we'll be able to, to move forward with mm-hmm. this year. I'm excited about that. Um, I, I'm, I'm working with uh, with colleagues on a prosecutor initiated uh, uh, resentencing program. Right. Whether or not that's 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 ready for uh, prime time this year is, is to be determined. Yeah. We need to we need to feel that out a little sure. bit. Um, and then I'm working with a group that's uh, that's piloting a program that will get early access mm-hmm. to counsel. And so, um, uh, you know, bringing counsel in sooner within the program, we're hopeful yeah. will will help uh, our judicial efficiencies. Amazing. Well, we can't wait to see everything that comes out of session for you next year. So. Criminal justice, while I know we have a lot of fun in the work that we do, it can feel like a really, really heavy place sometimes. So what makes you feel optimistic that either your state or even the country in general is at least headed in the right direction when it comes to our criminal justice system? Well, well, okay. so first I'll speak only to the state because that's that's, (laughs) that, you know, um, what makes me optimistic is truly the genuine dialogue that is out there. The issues that, that, that I think are important are no longer just important to me right our legislators fortunately governor yunkin has a program he's he's advancing a program specifically gearing resources towards um treatment for mental illness mm-hmm. the, the the prioritization of criminal justice reform um and 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 mental illness focus um has has i i just think has gotten far greater attention over the last couple of years yeah. and we have legislators who are interested in mm-hmm. this and so i'm motivated by that i'm encouraged by that and i'm also i will tell you um you know as 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 a, 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 a an attorney as a defense counsel um, i believe a prosecutor would be a far better prosecutor if he or she serves as a defense counsel and mm-hmm. i think a defense counsel is a far better defense counsel having served as a prosecutor sure. i am motivated and um um, uh, and encouraged by the work that I've been able to accomplish with clients mm-hmm. in the criminal justice system, because I believe that with the right systems in place and the right uh, judicial officers and the right prosecutors and defense counsel, we truly can receive uh, or achieve a far more just results mm. that both protect our communities yep. from violent offenders, yep. but also rehabilitate people and get people back out of the jails, out of the prisons, and back to, to, to leading truly meaningful lives and mm-hmm. contributing to their communities. That's so good. And then, Danny, if anybody wants to keep up with you and the work that you're yes. doing in your states, where can they find you and follow you? Sure, of course. So so um, uh, I'm not a huge social media guy. <laughs> I, I have a Twitter handle, Danny Murphy. Uh, actually, I don't even know what my Twitter handle is. You'd have, we'd have to look it up. Uh, but right, it's, it's on my Right on Crime page as well. Right. So you can go to rightoncrime.com, and my profile is there. It's got a link to my, my Twitter my LinkedIn, my uh, Instagram profile as well. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Danny. You're so much fun to talk to and just you, a wealth of knowledge. So thank you all so much for joining us on the Ride on Crime podcast today. To find out more about these issues and more conservative solutions from across the nation, you can visit our website at rideoncrime.com. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again.